Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What up, everyone? Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. Again, this is the Monday Combo Show. Waiver Wire up first, then the first look for the Houston Open. I will be dropping a Masters first look once the DraftKings pricing comes out. Not sure when exactly that is coming out, but the moment it comes out. Well, not I guess it's the moment it comes out because I'm going to need time to come in and record it. But I will have a quick first look. I will do the DraftKings Preview show for the Masters if you're looking for golf on Saturday. Jeff will be back three times next week. Monday, we're doing the golf betting show. Wednesday, obviously, we're doing the NFL pick show as we're doing this Wednesday as well. And then we're doing the Cut Sweat Live uh, on Mayo Media Network. If you're not subscribed to Mayo Media Network on YouTube, please do me a favor and go do that because that's the only place you're going to be able to watch the Cut Sweats Live show. Uh, annually, one of the better ones uh, out there. For the waiver wire, uh, you can always find my stuff up at dkplaybook.com. But I did want to ask you out there right now, besides subscribing to Mayo Media Network on YouTube, if you have not left a review on the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, well, it's just a rating. If you don't have time to do the review, don't worry about it. I would appreciate it if you did. If you just scroll to the bottom of your iPhone and just click five stars, that would help out tremendously as we're looking to get some new sponsors on board so we can continue to pump out content and really realistically the currency of the show are those Apple reviews, uh, as crazy as that sounds. So the more you can pump in there if you've never done it, please take the opportunity to go do that now. Five stars, mind you. That would be great. All right, let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2020 Week 9 Waiver Wire Pickup Power Rankings, NFL Injuries, Running Back Snaps, and maybe a whole lot more. If you out there want to support the show, smash the like button to the video and in the comment section, since this is trade season, this is ad drop season, we're getting into the stretch run, we're halfway through the fantasy football year, you got a question? that you want to ask, you leave it in the comment section, I shall respond to it. That's been the, the goal of the Monday show, just like the start sit is the Friday show. I mean, you put it in the rankings, we do those on Tuesdays. I will be back tomorrow with Jake Seeley, breaking down the weekly rankings, but of course, those get amended as injuries pop up through the week. Same as the waiver wire rankings. You can find the entire list up on DraftKingsPlaybook.com and in the description of this video and podcast. I have them updated to the moment I've started this, but hey, if there's an injury that occurs after I finish filming, they get updated in the column. They get updated all the way through Tuesday. So please go check that out. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, remember to rate and review as always. And if you're looking for Monday night projections or showdown tips, you can hit Mayo Media Network on YouTube. Subscribe to that, by the way. You're watching it here anyway. You might as well subscribe. Help us out. But Justin Freeman has his entire breakdown for the DraftKings showdown slate. And if you go to FTNDaily.com, projections and lineup builders are up there right now, along with content. If you use code Mayo, you get yourself a discount on that. Let's jump into the pickup for the week. Let's start at running back. I have Philip Lindsay ranked at number one um, only because I just took a swing over to ESPN, saw the ownership for Philip Lindsay, and that because he was dealing with the concussion all last week, he wasn't sure whether he was going to play or not. He actually dipped below the 60% threshold, so he comes in at number one. He's likely not available in any competitive league, but hey, these are the rules of the column. If you're under 60% owned, you get to be put on the list. So you can just, if guys are owned in your league, you can just cross those guys off. It's not that difficult. You, you don't need to like yell at me that these guys aren't available in your league. It happens. Trust me. Most of you, very good people. A very minute amount of you, uh, not so great, and don't understand how these things work but we'll get to their actually full rankings in a second we'll just run through the injury report very quickly tevin coleman re-aggravated his knee the same knee that caused him to go on injured reserve earlier this year obviously that led to more jamichael hasty in that game against the seahawks and almost like dj wiki wiki dallas on the other side of the ball a lot of volume Scored a touchdown. That's great. Uh, not a whole lot of productivity or efficiency, but it looks like it's going to be hasty and McKinnon going forward. No extent on the injury so far to Tevin Coleman, but as of right now, 
They are projected to play on Thursday evening. That game could be in jeopardy, though. A.J. Dillon on the Packers tested positive for COVID-19 before the game yesterday. The results weren't known until late Sunday evening, and they came out on Monday morning, which means depending on how the contact tracing goes or how the testing goes, he's in the running back room. He's around a lot of these guys. I don't know if this game is going to end up going on Thursday. Right now, the plans are that it will happen on Thursday, but if they get more tests back, uh, all of a sudden it's not not looking like it could be on pace after Monday on pace after Tuesday and then Wednesday comes back and you know it spreads and like six Packers have it it might get pushed to the weekend so just watch out for that right now um, obviously the players that he's in the closest proximity to would be Jamal Williams potentially Aaron Jones if they're all in the meeting rooms together which means the Packers could have no running backs for this game Dexter Williams is on their practice squad right now it's like a galaxy brain move to try to think about these different permutations of well if this guy's out and this guy's out and this guy's out what actually happens Tyler Irving would actually be another one too that would be potentially in an enclosed area that has a higher likelihood of testing positive at this point but Williams would be like the only guy available to call up from the practice squad we saw Seattle run into this issue last week where they just didn't have any fresh bodies left on the practice squad and then three of the running backs well I guess Travis Homer quote-unquote played in that game but he didn't really play. It was all DJ Dallas. So this could be a situation where you get one guy promoted and he's just standing in the backfield against the 49ers for a hundred percent of the snaps. So it's a situation to pay attention to is what I'm saying uh, in terms of how this is going right now. Daryl Henderson injured his thigh against the Dolphins. Uh, that's the injury that he was dealing with coming into the season. Uh, when we get to the rankings, you'll see Cam Akers and Malcolm Brown bumped up a bit in that regard. But as it pertains to snapshots, the, Ram the Rams ran so many plays on Sunday, over 90 plays, which is just incredible to really think about. But as the breakdown went down in the 92 plays that they ran, Malcolm Brown played 58% of the snaps. Cam Akers played 22% of the snaps with an additional 20% still going to Henderson. I would expect him to probably missed a week or so but there's the entire thing of they're on bye week so you don't really want to dig in too much because he could be fine coming out of the bye I would go Brown over Acres uh in the short term but then once Henderson gets thrown back in the mix then all of a sudden it's just not an enviable situation to be in a lot like the Colts situation where Jonathan Taylor is fucking killing me I'm not gonna lie to you uh he's been horrible at breaking tackles we'll talk about the Ravens guys too uh J.K. Dobbins leads the league in broken tackles of guys that are over 50 carries or more Gus Edwards looked really good in that game too Mark Ingram on the very lowest end of that he's bottom five in the league of over 50 qualified running backs in broken tackle percentage it's kind of the same with Jordan Wilkins who's actually third in that regard Taylor in the bottom 10 amongst all running backs so I don't even know what to do with this situation because it seemed like it was a hot hand type deal where Jonathan Taylor is going to get the start obviously Naheem Hines is going to work himself into the passing game and He's going to have four big games a year, and that is entirely frustrating because you're never going to know when to play him. Although, I mean, he's flipping in the end zone. Tremendous stuff. I mean, that's going to make highlight reels. You might want to get him to the end zone more than usual, but I guess if it's going to all happen, it's going to happen all at once for Naheem Hines, so maybe you pick the right week. And then Wilkins, you're just never going to know when this guy's going to get into the game. Yeah, next week, we like if we just look at the Colts, Right now, Wilkins played 51% of snaps, Taylor 33%, Hines 21%, and he was able to do that much damage on 21% of snaps. That is an efficiency outlier. Now, if Jordan Wilkins could maintain over 50% for the rest of the season, that would be great. We know that's not going to happen, because if he comes out, gets stuffed on the first series next week, if he even ends up starting... Then Taylor comes in, breaks off a nine-yard run. All of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor's going to get 22 carries in the game. It is a horrible situation for fantasy owners to be in, uh, and I don't really know what to do with it. I, I would still want Taylor the most of these three guys, but I am pessimistic on what his overall upside is. After being pretty optimistic that it would eventually change, they would figure this out in Indianapolis, they would give their bell cow rookie running back the rock, get him the feed him the touchdowns, get him over 20 touches per game. It, it just hasn't materialized, and eventually, when the evidence is staring you in the face you have to be like well I was wrong and I need to adjust and set a new level of expectation it's weird like if you think this could be a rebound situation for the Colts backfield it might actually be a decent opportunity to go buy Jonathan Taylor because you have to know uh, trust me as a Jonathan Taylor owner that you want to fucking kill the guy you want to cut him at this point that if you did go to trade for him you could probably trade 20 cents on the dollar for what he's worth it might not be worth trading for him because you trade for him then you have to play him but if it kind of flips back the other way, he's like a fringy running back one when he gets his 20 carries. How often is that going to happen? Like I said, 
I have no idea. But if we're talking about value and trying to buy low and sell high, this is a legitimate buy low. The biggest problem with buying low and selling high when it pertains to fantasy football is that no one actually wants to do that. They want to, oh, my my guy had a great week. Of course he's going to have a great week every week. I would never sell right now when things are looking so great. And on the flip side, no one wants to trade for Jonathan Taylor because no one knows what's going on. But there is that variable of the unknown that comes along with it. Do we know what his upside is? His path to upside? Sure, we we actually do know what it is. We know there are many roadblocks in the way, and he's probably not going to hit that upside. However, let's say Wilkins gets hurt next week, and you've traded Jonathan Taylor for, like, fucking Sammy Watkins or something like that. That's not a real trade. I don't think anyone... I, I don't even think Jonathan Taylor owners would accept that trade at this point, but... If you can get him, like I said, 50 cents, 40 cents on the dollar, and you do want to gamble for a potential fringe running back one the rest of the year, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Taylor gets it back together. It's terrifying to do. It might blow up in your face. It might be completely worthless, but that's the downside of it, too. Like, you have to be able to inherit some risk if you're playing for a playoff push right now and buying devalued assets where you can actually carve out a path to upside could be worth it. Like, let's say you have Justin Jackson right now. I don't know if anyone would accept Justin Jackson for Jonathan Taylor, but you have to understand how frustrated Jonathan Taylor owners are. And then you can even make the case, be like, oh, let's let's go look at this Chargers game for a second. And where are the Chargers here? Justin Jackson, he played 47% of the snaps. And listen, Joshua Kelly's not even a thing anymore. He only played 24%. They give the young Pope 30% of the snaps. That's probably not likely to occur again. Justin Jackson looked great against the Broncos. They were using him in the passing game. Who knows when Austin Eckler's coming back? We still don't have an update on that. He just spin it in the right way and maybe you can be like Jonathan Taylor he stinks what what has he done since week two absolutely nothing now if you trade Justin Jackson for Jonathan Taylor there is a distinct possibility that Justin Jackson turns out to be better than Jonathan Taylor but you know that he's never going to be etched into a running back one he's always going to be a periphery player on your team a low end number two a flex play at best because of the split situation Taylor also in a split situation, but at, when he's right, he's likely going to be the lead if he can figure his shit out. Maybe he just sucks and they're never going to play him again. I mean, like I said, that's on the table. But these are the sort of trades that you should be looking at come deadline time. Who are the most devalued assets? What can you get for cheap? And do they have a path to upside? That's the way that you need to be thinking about it right now. Uh, maybe when I talk to Jake, not this week, maybe next week, we'll continue to rank some of the rest of the season guys. We've been doing that on the ranking show and maybe look ahead at who has the best playoff skills schedules at the moment philadelphia still has the best like trading for carson wentz right now uh if you play in let's say you play in a 14 team league you need to ride something carson wentz looks like he's horrendous but he has the easiest schedule in the league and even though uh it didn't really come to fruition against dallas you know he gets dallas again at some point in the fantasy playoffs which is really nice to have and hopefully he can get his shit together in time once ever once Ertz is back I guess Elshon is close to coming back. It doesn't seem like we'll see Deshaun Jackson again, but Goddard clearly wasn't at full speed. Uh, now they go into their bye week. Coming out of their bye week, they should look a little bit better, you'd have to think. And Rager looks legit. Fulgham looks like a real player. He's third. Since becoming a starter on the Eagles, he's third in wide receiver fantasy points, which is just mind-blowing to think about. But he's like a real guy the rest of the year. Uh, it's guys like that coming off of the bad weeks or someone you can project for substantial upside because of the schedule or playing time concerns are the players that you need to be going to target right at this moment. So the rest of the injuries right now at running back, like I said, Coleman and Henderson were the two that really got banged up. Uh, Devonta Freeman is likely to not play on Monday night. He's actually out Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just keep an eye on Wayne Gallman, see what he gets up to, because uh, he can just take this job back from Freeman, although it's not really a valuable spot. Uh, it is almost like, uh, listen, we just went through a week where we were trying to figure out which of the non-Chris Carson Seahawks running backs could be a capable play because there were so few running back options that someone like Wayne Gallman, if he's like checked down city and ends up with like eight targets a game because the Giants are terrible, then you know he's not going to have to play Tampa Bay every single week. He gets these NFC East teams and you can score fantasy points on them. So he's not irrelevant. He's a bench guy. He's a flex play at best, but that's not devoid of value. That's someone who probably should be owned uh, if he can take this role from Freeman. So we'll see how he plays against Tampa Bay on Monday night. Aaron Jones did not play play in week nine uh you with the quick turnaround if that game sticks on thursday i don't know if we're going to see him on thursday night uh and you have all these new covid concerns with all the running backs on the packers again dexter williams would be the only guy if they all test positive almost like the bills tight end room uh when that happened and the only guy left standing was tyler croft uh they're all coming back now lee smith was active on sunday dawson knox should be back next week 
But if it's one of those situations, um, I, I wouldn't count on having Aaron Jones this week. Chris Thompson eligible to return from the COVID list this week. Uh, we're not sure who's playing quarterback for the Jags. I guess Doug Marone will announce that this week. Um, maybe Mike Glennon. That could be the way they go because Minshew's going to be out with this thumb injury. We'll, we'll see who they end up turning to. And uh, you have to kind of downgrade. As bad as Minshew has been playing, he's still been finding his guys. Maybe and maybe there will be an upgrade at the Jags quarterback situation. Who knows? Uh, Joe Mixon is on bye in week nine. He should return after that. Ditto with Miles Sanders. Kenyon Drake, uh, he got good news that the injury is not quite as serious as they originally thought. Maybe not a severe high ankle sprain, but he is still likely to miss week nine against the Miami Dolphins, which would lead to a Chase Edmonds game. Uh, but Drake could be back for week 10, maybe week 11, as we're projecting that forward. Chris Carson didn't play. He should be back this week against the Bills. Carlos Hyde, not sure yet with that hamstring problem. Mark Ingram is going to continue to be questionable. He has not been placed on injured reserve. He could return after the bye week uh, for the, uh, no, sorry, not the bye week for the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they actually played this week. They're coming off of the bye week. Uh, so you could get another game of Dobbins and Edwards, but Ingram will eventually be back. He shouldn't be back because he's by far the worst of all of the running backs, but they do seem to enjoy to use him. Jeff Wilson on injured reserve. Eckler, as I mentioned, no clue when he's coming off of injured reserve. Nick Chubb could be back for week 10 when Cleveland comes off of its bye. So pay attention to that. Could be the last of, not that Kareem Hunt was any good as the starter. Maybe he's just better as a complimentary back at this point, but Chubb should return, regain his running back fringy one type role, depending on the situation. Sony Michelle is still on injured reserve and Colonel Raheem Mostart is on injured reserve. So like I said, Philip Lindsay comes in at number one on the list. Then I go Gus Edwards and JK Dobbins. Edwards is just far more likely to score the touchdowns when it comes down to it. Um, only because he's going to get these goal line carries. You have to hope Lamar doesn't take too much away from him uh, in the rushing game. But between the 10 and 20s, it's not like Edwards is going to be you know, gone, but he's just never going to be involved in the receiving game like Dobbins should be moving forward. It was almost a complete split between the two in terms of touches uh, for the week. Uh, J.K. Dobbins actually ended up playing 66% of the snaps to Gus Edwards' 33%. But every time Edwards is on the field, like we've seen the entire season, he gets the ball in his hands, and he's quite good. Pretty good. Pretty Pretty good, Gus Edwards. Gus Bus. But I do like Edwards for the touchdown upside. Dobbins as a long-term play. You know what? I'm going to switch those right now. I think I would rather have Dobbins and Edwards just based on the upside alone. Although we've seen all these rookie running backs kind of kill us so far this year. So I'll go Dobbins number two, Gus Edwards number three. Zach Moss comes in at number four. Has he usurped the situation in Buffalo? Maybe. He has looked better than Devin Singletary so far uh, in the few games he's been back. Uh, he played 53% of the snaps to Devin Singletary's 46% of the snaps against the Patriots in a game where they were pretty much able to run at will. You saw the Patriots not bring an immense amount of pressure on Josh Allen. They kind of let them grind down the clock on themselves. It was kind of a savvy strategy, and it almost worked out for them. All they did was run the entire game. They just let Buffalo run the entire game. Moss scored the two touchdowns, but you still have to think that Josh Allen – Likes to call his own number once they get around the goal line. Moss is just incredibly difficult to trust at this point. There's going to be the want to go and get him after coming off a multi-touchdown game. He's looked good each of the past two weeks, but it does seem that while he is playing in the red zone, he could have a higher touchdown upside than Devin Singletary. Uh, it does appear to me like it might be a hot hand situation. If Singletary looks better in one game, they're going to end up using him. If Moss looks a little bit better, or even depending on who the opponent is and how they actually format their defense, that one of them might be a better matchup than the other. But Josh Allen is still the primary rushing touchdown getter on this team. So you always have to factor that in, that he loves calling his own number, and that takes away from the overall upside of these Bills running backs. I do have him at number four. LaMichael Pirine, number five. Do you really want a Jets running back? No is the answer, although he is better than Frank Gore. You might just need a background filler. Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers, six and seven. I only have them down this far on the list because the Rams are going into their bye week, and Henderson might be available coming back off of it. And as we've seen, when Henderson is healthy, he's the guy getting the ball. So these two guys just might go back to being useless once again. You wouldn't want to go out and spend waiver priorities on it unless you're in the deepest of leagues. Jamichael Hasty at number eight, Damian Harris at number nine, nine, Naheem Hines at number 10. Again, you can find the entire rankings up on DKPlaybook.com or just hit the link in the video or podcast of this show. 
Let's talk some wide receivers for the week. Chris Godwin will not play on Monday night with his broken finger. He should return for week nine. Uh, Antonio Brown should be active for week nine as well as a Sunday night game against the Saints. Curious to see how all of this breaks down. Uh, I could see Antonio Brown's best game being his first game back, especially if Godwin is out. They try to pepper him, get him involved, and then we'll see how it goes on a week-to-week basis after that. Kelvin Ridley exited the game on Thursday evening, so he has that bit of extension uh, to try to get himself ready for week nine, but Atlanta has its bye in week 10. So if it's not completely healed, you're kind of out of it. Don't hurt your stud young receiver. You might see him come back in week 11, but there's a decent chance that he plays in week nine as the x-rays came back negative on him ty hilton exited the game with a groin injury i wouldn't expect to see him in week nine kenny galladay unsure of his status with the hip injury he left against the colts but was it because they were down by a bunch i don't know but uh you'll have to keep an update on him throughout the week as well uh, quintez Seifer was not active for the game so marvin hall got some extra run in the Galladay spot with Galladay out, but we saw Seifer earlier in the earlier in the year actually play that role when Galladay was out. So you'll have to monitor the active reports throughout the week if Galladay can't go. If you're looking to mine some value, and that would only be in like a very deep 14 team league, a 16 team league, something like that. If you are that desperate at the position right now, Adam Humphreys wouldn't expect to see him. He took a nasty nasty hit to the head in that Bengals game had to be carted off uh, it appeared like he was okay but you know concussion at minimum it's a head injury it could be a neck injury so I wouldn't expect him to play next week Marquez Callaway Tim Patrick Debo Samuel Brashad Perriman Jamison Crowder Nikhil Harry Julian Edelman who's out multiple weeks Michael Thomas Emmanuel Sanders Sammy Watkins, Brian Edwards, Alshon Jeffrey, and Alan Lazard all did not play last week. Uh, We'll have to update everyone. It does appear like Michael Thomas could be back next week. Emmanuel Sanders could be back next week. Uh, Almost everyone for that Tampa Tampa Bay and New Orleans game is coming back all at the right time. Uh, So we'll see how that goes. So hopefully they can have their full complement of players. And the wide receiver pickup rankings, uh, although he has not played so far in Week 8, and I do not expect him to have a good game in Week 8 against Tampa, Sterling Shepard remains the number one pickup at the receiver position. Christian Kirk, number two. Mike Williams, Jalen Rager, Tim Patrick, although he missed the week, should return, has looked really good, and has some nice matchups coming up for Drew Locke and the Broncos. And we do know that Tim Patrick has been his favorite target when healthy so far this year. Cole Beasley, Richard Higgins, Russell Gage, Sammy Watkins, Henry Ruggs to round out the top 10, then into Preston Williams, Curtis Samuel. Wouldn't expect that sort of Samuel usage, especially with Christian McCaffrey likely coming back next week. Uh, they probably don't need to give the ball to Curtis Samuel in the backfield anymore. Zach Pascal, Mecole Hardman, Chenault, Myers, Josh Reynolds, who's been really good, although the Rams are going on by. His usage has been up, up, up each of the past two weeks, so check him out, as maybe that is where they're going with Tyler Higby. Uh, being injured and you know kind of seeing a backseat role in this offense Josh Reynolds playing more snaps Mimsy who I had a 45 and a half over under I bet the over on receiving yards for Denzel Mims I think he had that he had 42 after the first drive had one target the rest of the game and he dropped it too which would have been the over so thanks for fucking nothing Denzel Mims you oh the Jets what am I doing betting on Jets players overs idiot Traquan uh number 19 and Christian Blake at number 20 we saw earlier in the year when Julio missed time big Z rock me Dr. Zacchaeus ended up coming in and filling in for him but in the Thursday night game it was actually Christian Blake who took over for the Ridley role so I'm curious to see how that may end up breaking down it may not even be worth mining at this point because the Broncos secondary is okay that's who they get this week that's why I like Drew Locke against the Falcons but now, if you can have someone a viable piece of the Falcons offense, it's always worth noting, maybe more of a DraftKings play when it comes down to it, because I assume that Blake will be the minimum $3,000 on DraftKings, but at the same time, and then with all the Jags guys this week, uh, until we know who's playing quarterback, and even when we do know who's playing quarterback, you probably have to downgrade them a little bit. So I've pushed, I mean, when the rankings come out, Chark will be down, but even Keelan Cole, who had looked pretty good uh, throughout the course of the past few weeks, Chenault might actually get an uptick because he runs these shorter routes. They use him out of the backfield a little bit. So he'd probably be my preferred target on the waiver wire over Keelan Cole this week uh, if you're in desperate need of a receiver. Tight ends for the week. George Kittle is the huge injury here. He exited the game with an ankle injury against Seattle. 
it has come back negative, but there's no word on whether or not he'll play this week. This would actually, if the game gets pushed from Thursday, he might actually have a better chance of playing. If it is on Thursday, you probably don't see Debo. You probably don't see George Kittle in that game just because the turnaround is so quick. Same as Tevin Coleman. If it's on Sunday, you know, all bets are off in the situation, but uh, you'll have to monitor his status. And again, you can check in with the waiver wire column going forward. Uh, if it says that he's going to play, then I will update it and I will move down my number one pickup at tight end for the week uh jordan akins uh should be back for this week after the high ankle sprain and the concussion tyler eifert could be back for the jags dawson knock should return for the bills from the covid list he was dealing with a calf before that no word yet on austin hooper i hope you've been enjoying harrison bryant weeks you enjoyed week one of the harrison bryant experience not so much week two but austin hooper should be back uh, after the bye week for the browns i actually like him moving forward he was good until he had the appendectomy uh, over the three games going into before sitting out those games. So I like Austin Hooper as a pickup. He's going to be dropped on mass if he hasn't already with the Browns going to bio. Zach Ertz is on injured reserve. And of course, we had Dallas Goddard come back this week. But number one pickup at tight end. Some of this is contingent on Jordan Reed, too, who was close to playing last week for the 49ers. But again, if it's a short turnaround week, we might not see Jordan Reed. At least Smelly Dwelly, Ross Dwelly, number one in the pickup column. Uh, I mean, he's Mullins looks like he's going to start Thursday night over Jimmy Garoppolo. And like Dwelly is Mullins' guy. And if there's no Kittle and there's no Reed and there's no Debo Samuel, they need someone to throw to. And Dwelly could very well be that player. All the Niners become kind of interesting, but especially where you know Jair Alexander is going to take out either Ayuk or Kendrick Bourne, that you're going to have a guy running around in the middle of the field basically uncovered. And that's going to be Ross Dwelly if the other two guys are out. So I do like him as a plug and play. He's going to crack the top 10 of my tight end rankings this week, assuming that Reed and Kittle are both inactive for that Thursday night game. Uh, Logan Thomas at number two coming back off by he's been actually quite good with Kyle Allen all of those unrealized air yards and targets have all kind of started to come through been a good red zone threat for Kyle Allen and the Washington footballs Austin Hooper at number three Eric Ebron Trey Burton Dalton Schultz Robert Tunyon, Mike Gesicki, who's essentially useless at this point. Fucking Gesicki, man. I had such high hopes. Uh, then Harrison Bryant, in case uh, Austin Hooper is out for a more extended period of time. But you probably don't need to go do that right now. Streaming quarterbacks for Week 9 on Zawaiva Wire. You have Matthew Stafford coming off a close to 30-point performance performance against the Colts last week. It's Minnesota this week. Drew Locke at Atlanta, number two. Teddy B at Kansas City. Hopefully you see some garbage time in that one. And, you know, with the return of Christian McCaffrey, you get him going in the passing game. Only helps out old Teddy B. He looks fine after the Thursday night game, too, as he came back in towards the end. Kyle Allen against the Giants and Kirk Cousins in division against the Lions. We'll see how that ends up going. Uh, injuries at Quarterback, it looks like Andy Dalton will be back. Jimmy Garoppolo has the ankle ankle injury. He was just playing like shit, so we'll see how if he ends up going on Thursday night. Then you have Gardner, Gardner Minshew, doubtful for Week 9. We'll see who ends up filling in for the Jags. You need to go pick up a defense? Well, everyone dropped the footballs going into their bye, although they were great. Uh, they got so many games against the NFC still left to go. You just want to pick up Washington's D and almost use them every single week. This week, they get the Giants. They're going to be a top five defense this week, at least in terms of rankings. We'll see how it actually plays out. But the football's number one, Arizona against Tua at home in a game where he might have to throw the ball more than three times. Uh, I like that matchup. Arizona's defense has been very good for fantasy uh, the past few weeks. Even against Seattle, they were really good. Tennessee at home against Chicago. Good matchup there, a high-pressure team against a terrible offensive line I like all three of those a lot then you're into the second tier of the streaming defenses you have Houston uh, the Chargers the Giants at Washington Green Bay at San Francisco if that persists on the short week uh, and then Denver at Atlanta uh, we'll see what happens with the Niners they were still pretty highly owned uh, going into the week but I think a lot of people might drop them and because they just didn't use them against Seattle because why do you want to use people against Seattle but against Green Bay, uh, if they're going to be incredibly banged up, if guys are out because of COVID on a short week at home, it's not the worst matchup in the world. Obviously, I would probably have them ranked at number nine, eh, maybe number seven here. They're worth doing just because the pressure they bring is so immense. And Rodgers either has a great game or a terrible game, as we're kind of seeing at this point. So those are the streaming defenses. Washington, Arizona, Tennessee would be my preferred three, although I will adjust the rankings. Realistically, the Thursday morning DraftKings show on Mayo Media Network, 
subscribe to Mayo Media Network on YouTube, by the way, uh, is when I really hammer out my defense because I'll have all of the updated pressure stats, adjusted line yard stats, adjusted sack rate stats. They're just not out yet as I do this on a Monday morning, which makes streaming them off the waiver wire rather difficult. But you can find some good free agent defenses, some good DraftKings values. Like last week, it was Miami. Miami matched up really well. If you would use Miami on DraftKings, you probably won money this week. So shout out Miami's D. Don't expect two touchdowns from them, but that is the implicit want that you get from what you saw from that defense. Oh, Jared Goff is under pressure a lot. He's really bad under pressure. It's more of a better run-blocking offensive line with the Rams. Miami, all of a sudden, over the past four weeks, had been generating a lot of pressure. So bad offensive line against a lot of pressure, against a quarterback who makes mistakes under pressure, and two touchdowns can happen. That's just on the table. You don't expect it to happen, but when you set it up to the week, that is the optimal outcome of what you can get, and it actually happened. It happens like three times a year, but if you can capitalize on it with a cheap defense, it's saves you a lot of money uh, and you can go pick these guys up for like nothing off the waiver wire. This is why you really don't want to commit to a defense over and over and over again. 2020 Houston open first look early research all powered by fantasynational.com you want a discount a 20% discount off all the tools and all the stats at fantasynational.com I suggest you type in fantasynational.com slash Mayo, and get yourself said discount. You can also find it in the description of this podcast and video. Masters Week is almost here, but there is the Houston Open beforehand. I will have the full betting and DraftKings breakdown for the Houston Open out on Wednesday afternoon, like I do for golf every single week during the swing season. However, there's Masters to be had. So there's going to be a Pat Mayo experience, Masters, DraftKings, Listener's League. It's a full one, 5,000 spots available, so it's going to be a juicy tournament. Uh, when I drop the first look, Masters show, and I expect to drop that as soon as the pricing comes out. When is the pricing coming out? I don't know. I assume it's just going to be sometime this week. So I'll have a show all rigged up for that once it actually drops. You'll be able to find the link to the Masters First Look Listener's League in the description. And you're probably going to want to get your spot right away because it's going to fill super quickly because that's what happens with the Pat Mayo Experience Golf League. Golf fans and viewers of this show and listeners, best in the biz. Also, Subscribe to Mayo Media Network. Help me out here if you're just getting back into golf right now. We got a ton of football. We got a ton of MMA, everything like that. But we know, you know, that we're going to have all of, especially for a major. And then once football ends, we're going to be back full time with golf as well. But what you should expect this week for Masters, um, you're going to have the first look show over the weekend, the DraftKings Pick Show with Rick and Ben, as per every major, the betting show solo, me and Jeff. We're bringing that back. Uh, last one until the new year, I suppose, for the golf betting show although Jeff if you've missed Jeff he's on the NFL betting show every single Wednesday the best show of the week uh, so we're gonna have two best shows of the week next week uh, and then Wednesday of next week I will be doing my live chat uh, where I would normally be doing the DraftKings pick show so like noon eastern time right around then uh, live on Mayo Media Network so another reason to subscribe rate and review the podcast as well if you're listening to the audio version of this and I think that's oh yeah live Cut sweats. Friday of the Masters. We are going to bring it back. We didn't do it for the U.S. Open. Football got in the way, but I said, fuck football this time around. Let's do the cut sweat show. Everyone enjoys the cut sweat show. And as everyone who tunes into the Masters cut sweat show knows that I will lose. Actually, I won it last year because of the Grio stat correction uh, in the app that went on that I'll have my to make the to make the cut, to miss the cut parlays. And you can see me having to go for like cigarettes halfway through the show as I fucking stress out the entire time. But hey, Worked out well last year. Hopefully, we can keep that going. Golf betting for me so far during the swing season has been an absolute shit show. My guys fucking suck on Sundays. It's unbelievable. I am just hemorrhaging money at the moment. So I might take it light on the card, although I always say that, and then by the time Wednesday rolls around, I end up with a bunch of bets. So maybe if we dig into the research a little bit better this time around, we can actually figure it out for the Houston Open. Uh, the DraftKings pricing, as I record, this is not out yet for the Houston Open. They're probably working on the master stuff. They're like, Houston, who cares? And it'll probably come out like later in the day, or it's come out as I'm recording this, and you know, I just don't want to check it at this point. But here's what we got going for the Houston Open. Oh, also remember to smash the like button, um, and in in the comment section, leave me your winner, who you think is going to win, your early lean to win. And remember to subscribe to Mayo Media Network. The course this year 
in Houston is a little bit different. In fact, it's a lot bit different than we've seen in Houston in the past, uh, mainly because it's a new course. Uh, and it's a revamped course. So it's Memorial Park GC. Uh, it is 7,432 yards, par 72. The greens are Bermuda. There are Water is in play on four of the holes. There's only 19 bunkers across the course. Uh, it was renovated in 2019. There are five par fives. There are par threes, uh, five of them, and there are three of them that measure over 200 yards. Expect those to be the two toughest places so far. Uh, I mean, those are going to be the most difficult holes on the course. Let's just check out the scorecard, kind of jump into it. As you can see, I was trying to scan. This is the official one for Memorial Park Golf Course. I was going to see if, you know, oh, do you really want to be playing 8, 9, 10? Or do you want to be playing like 17, 18, 1? There doesn't seem to be any sort of back nine, uh, starting on the back tees, front tee showdown advantage uh, as it comes down to it. And we build the model in a second. We'll probably see that you know, we're going to rate in. I mean, I don't love par 5 scoring. We'll probably just add in 200-yard plus proximity as that covers us on long approaches on the par fives plus uh the three of them that measure over 200 yards on the par threes as well and just go with our general ball striking um although the one thing i really want to do and i want to shout out uh we'll flick over here to uh cody dubois uh at all pedal no break on twitter i uh, sent me this long thread this morning and it is fucking incredible and this is going to be my insight for the week, so I thought I'd just bring it up on the screen right here. Uh, so I'll just read it up for all the audio listeners out there, too. So, Kobe, shout out to you once again. Uh, tells us just some intel on Memorial Park, where the Houston Open is being played this year. It's five minutes from my house, and I probably played it 25 times since the redesign, including a few times this fall. Says it's reasonably short. I'd imagine they play at least number one as a par four. It's a par five for everyday hacks, although that is not the case, as we found out. It's going to play as a par five. So that's a very eagleable hole. Fairways are pretty tight in many places. They've grown up the rough, and it is very thick. Houston has been hot up until last week, so the rough has grown nicely. All the challenge in the Tom Doak greens. They've crowned in places and have some subtle ridges in others. Greens are pretty firm. On number four, for instance... With the front left pin, even coming in with a wedge, you have to land the ball short of the green to get it close. Mostly mown areas around the greens and ridges make chipping difficult. A player with a good short game will have an advantage. Should be wins in the afternoon, which makes the course trickier. I can go weeks at this course without finding a bunker. They are small and not prominent parts of the design. Far more likely to end up with an awkward pitch or chip from closely mown area rather than in a bunker. Course rewards someone who can work the ball from right to left. That's also a theme we're going to see at Augusta next week, too. You want the guys who can move the ball right to left predominantly. That's why lefties end up playing so well there. Number one, three, five, six, and 14 all demand or reward a draw. The only holes that will truly reward a fade are number eight and possibly number 16, depending on where the tees are set up. Assuming they play the tees all the way back and make number one a par four, which they did not, there are some very long, gnarly par fours out there. Uh, number four and number 18 in particular are beasts, particularly if they play into the wind, as one and eight often do. The par threes are the star of the course. Very difficult greens on number two and seven. Number 11 is a 240-yard beast. 15 ends up very short, but one of the most interesting greens on tour. Huge swale in the middle and difficult to hold. Won't see many birdies on the par threes in my opinion. Would assume they have at least a couple drivable par fours. 13 is endlessly interesting. Will probably just be drivable, but the green is so se is severe, so missing it in the wrong spot turns it into a bogey hole. Number 17 is a cape hole around water, which also may be drivable. Although if we look at the scorecard, uh, they have 17 playing at 382 and 13 playing at 406. Depending on where they put the tees, I assume that they'll probably make some drivable for a couple of the days, but we'll see uh that going into it he did say sneaky this week are the guys hit their long irons well three of the par threes will demand a true long iron shot and probably three of the five par fives will be reachable with the right wing but may require a long iron uh, number 18 a par four into the wind will likely require it as well i asked him if it feels like a longer colonial he said that's a good comp uh, but a little bit more wide open you can get yourself into tree trouble at colonial but memorial doesn't present too much of that off the tee basically what he has said uh, as it pertains to that 
is that while it is a park line and tree line fairway, is that if you do hit it into the trees, you have escapable exits, it would seem. So just based on what he has said and looking at the scorecard and doing some of the research, uh, the additional research that I found on it was uh, when Doak redesigned the course, he did it with a hand from... Brooks Kepka, who did not sign his name to the project plans, uh, but was the player consultant on this. Uh, I think it's a lot like Sergio at the old Byron Nelson course as well. So uh, it's probably set up for how Brooks likes it. Uh, Brooks is actually in the field this week. So guess what? I bet Brooks. Sue me. I, I, I bet him when he couldn't win before. Might as well bet him now coming off. He looked all right at the CJ Cup. We'll dig into him uh, in a second. But just it, it's a weird setup. I don't know how familiar. Uh, I assume that they picked this course because of the shaved greens uh, that you can kind of putt from off of some of them. Um, and you're going to see that at Augusta a little bit where there's just not really any rough to speak of, especially green sides. So maybe guys that have a good short game around Augusta, especially if these are slope greens, although this is Bermuda grass, we're going to see bent grass, really fast bent grass next week at Augusta. These are going to be slower Bermuda greens that are a bit firmer than what you're going to see in Florida. So as a course preview, uh, that's what we should be looking at here. I guess we should kind of dig in to see who is in the field this week, uh, the week before a Major. Uh, this is on fantasynational.com right now. I have it set in fantasynational.com slash mayo, by the way. If you get the Wednesday deal, uh, if you only want to subscribe to or become a member for on a week's basis, I believe after the discount, it's like seven bucks or six bucks or something like that. Well worth getting the weekly to dip your toe in. But if you do it on Wednesday, you get all of the information for Houston and Augusta because it goes Wednesday to Wednesday. So you can make all your lineups on Wednesday for Houston and do your research. Then you'll have everything loaded in for Augusta all the way through. Through, uh, and you'll get all the live stats over the weekend in case you want to play showdown or make some in live bets. There's going to be shot tracker at this course. So that is when the stats become oh so much more valuable. I have the time frame set to six months, uh, the last six months and the last 36 rounds. As you can see, a lot of these guys have almost all 36 rounds in. So basically, since the COVID break restarted. Best players in the field in strokes gain total over that span. Uh, Dustin Johnson. Russell Henley initially got a bump in the odds because I don't think the bookmakers remembered this is a new course because Russell Henley has won in Houston before, albeit at a different course. Um, so he was juiced up to like you know, the third favorite in the field. I think he was like the same odds as Hatton to begin with, and then they readjusted them, as we'll see here in a second from DraftKings Sportsbook. But Dustin, Henley, Finau, Scheffler, Zach Johnson. See, woo! Kim, Sammy Burns, Doc Redman, Tyrrell Atten, Christoph Ventura, and Cameron Davis are the top 10 players in the field over that time frame, past 36 rounds over the past six months uh, in the field this week. Then you go into like <clears throat> Werner, Herman, Matsuyama, Norlander, Brooks, Denny McCarthy, Pat Perez, Lonto Griffin, uh, Sergio Garcia, James Hahn, Lee Westwood, Jason Day, the Gooch. Uh, if we look at the very bottom, we're going to see, uh, oh, Martin Train, Party Marty Trainer, Sung Kang, got to be Kang. Kevin Stadler, Bo Van Pelt, BVP. KJ Choi is actually withdrawn from this event so he, just before I came on. Uh, so he's not going to be in here. Luke Donald, Michael Kim, Jimmy Walker. So, yeah. It's a huge line of demarcation between the good players and bad players in this field. Although it is a, it is a full field, you're going to have 134 players on the grounds. Top 65 in ties are going to make the cut. Let's take a shift over to the betting odds just for a second uh, to kind of get a glance of that. This is on DKSportsbook.com. You got Dustin Johnson as the favorite at 7-1, to one, followed by Finau and Hatton at 18. Henley is also actually 18, too. Big Dick Vic at 20-1. to one. Matsuyama at 20 brooks at 22 that 22 is actually the best number i've found on him i bet brooks at 20 because uh, i do not live in a state where you can bet on DraftKings sportsbook uh, if i could i would bet the 22 on him there scheffler on the other hand he's 22 to 1 on DraftKings, 25 or 28 to 1 in other spots i think that he is going to end up being my second look i'll probably just go brooks i'll go scheffler uh and maybe someone from daniel maybe a cam davis to see if i can ride some form with him i always like aussies in texas when it comes down to it uh, who else here? We got Day at 40, Sung Jay at 35, Zach Johnson at 40. Adam Scott is back from COVID, 40 to 1. Sergio at 45. Then just drops to Connors. Lonto, who's the defending Houston Open champion. Different course, mind you. Lonto, Harmon, Doc coming off. Uh, no, he didn't have the playoff loss. He couldn't even get himself into the fucking playoff. 
Doc. Give your head a shake, pal. Uh, Keegan, 70 to 1. Stuart Sink, 70 to 1. Shane Lowry, 70 to 1. A lot of these guys might just be using this as Masters prep, too, because uh, there's a lot of players in the field here. Uh, Jordan Speed, 70 to 1. Varner, 70. Cam Davis, 75. I actually like that number on Cam Davis. I'll probably bet that at 75. Hoffman coming off a bad week. Fratelli, the Gooch. Anyone else down here? Lee Westwood is 90. Eric Van Royen, 90 to 1 is actually a pretty good number. Sammy Burns, you're going to see people talk him up, especially because this is Bermuda, although he's been burning people lately. 100 to 1 is not a terrible number on him. Stenson coming off the injury where he withdrew last week after making like 20 birdies in a row in his second round, just decided, fuck it, I'm out of Bermuda. He is 100 to 1. He is playing in the Masters next week. Phil Mickelson also in the Masters, obviously, 110 to 1 this week see sneds i don't know if he's at augusta or not harry higgs is somewhat interesting here too and then you got duffner i don't really know what to do from down on this board it's just gonna vegas has actually played well in texas over the years too he made the cut in bermuda last week and you know that if he can get the driver going he's kind of always in play patty harrington showing up at 225 good week last week in bermuda too he's been playing well overseas Uh, let's just take a quick look at harrington so we can get his Yahoo data in here as well. Scott Harrington missed. I mean, I might just start auto betting Scott Harrington first round later. Although if Hatton's in the field, he's been like the king of first round. Yeah. Harrington had it going early on Sunday at Bermuda and drop back. But last four starts at the Scottish, the BMW PGA, this, the other Scottish championship and Bermuda T9, T40, T14, T26. It looks like his game is rounding back into form after a just horrible run of missed cuts before that. So it's nice to see Patty uh, back up. Back up and going here recently. Uh, Shift back over, and maybe we'll try to build a little bit of a model here and take a look at it. Uh, We're going to have to get a brand new one. Obviously, there's no simulator this week with a new course and the course breakdown. Now we'll have stuff loaded in. Bermuda Championship did not go too well for me in terms of the modeling. Using Stenson did uh, did not turn out well whatsoever when you have a withdraw in your lineup. So let's call this Houston... That's almost how you spell Houston. Fuck. Houston. Oh, my God. Houston 2020. There we go. Uh, Save in the name. And we'll probably just leave in off the T and approach. And like I said, we're going to find those long proximity. So we'll add in 200 proximity. And we'll add in 175 as well for some of the longer hitters. I think I'm actually going to go with a bomb and gouge strategy at this course. So that will lead us to driving distance, but not, you know, overwhelming amount of driving distance. I always just like to give it a little bit of a lean uh, over some of the shorter hitters in this field. Although if the shorter hitters hit the fair, hit the fairways here and hit their long irons really well, that will prove to be pretty good for them. Where are we at here? Bernie's fairways gain driving distance. That's what we want. I mentioned that there are the par threes over, um, 200 yards. We'll throw that into, I know that kind of correlates with over 200 yard proximity, but I'll just give a lesser weight to the par threes than I normally would. Uh, par five scoring. I'm never really big on. That's why I add in the proximity range. Uh, a lot of par five scoring has to factor in putting, uh, when it really gets down to it. So we'll throw in around the green as well. Although you might be able to putt from off the green here, which is kind of tricky. Uh, when you think about somewhere like Pinehurst and you were able to putt off the green, someone like Martin Keimer ends up winning there. And he is awful around the greens. Uh, what else? Is there anything else we want to check in? I'm going to take a quick look at the scorecard. What do we got for par fours? 490, 456, 496, 503. Yeah, I'll check in par four scoring 450 to 500 yards as well because those holes tend to play a little bit more difficult but i'm going to severely weight off the t and approach here i think off the t i'll give it a 15 percent weight and crank up driving distance five if i was going to go 20 on that i'm going to make approach 25 proximity from 200 yards 10 i will make 175 to 210 i'll only go five on that key par three range i'll go five on around the green and i go 10 percent on the par fours this is just a first run model as I'm just kind of looking at this for the first time. So we have 91%. How is that possible? Oh, cause I cranked this up to 15. Let's go heavier on approach. Let's crank that up to 30 and go 20 off the tee. Really rely on the old ball strikers this time around. We have 5% to play with somewhere else. Uh, I will add an opportunities gained, which is a green and regulation or fringe in regulation. 
uh, within 15 feet. Uh, that gives you ample birdie opportunity. So let's just load this in, see what it spits us out. Hopefully something good. Hopefully Brooks Kepka. Hopefully Scotty Scheffler, and we can be pretty good. We'll we'll assess those guys independently. Listen, Dustin's going to be the best player in the field. Everyone knows that, but he's seven to one, and I'm not really one to bet people at seven to one. So my rank over the past 36 rounds: Dustin Verner, Grio M. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to throw in putting because I, I can't have Grio staring me as like a great play every single week. Um, let's get rid of ten on approach. And we'll crank back two on off the tee. So we'll set it to 18 and 25 because we have a lot of approach type stats anyway. And we'll go with putting. What's the max? We can make that 7%. All right, let's go with 7%. I just need to dilute those guys a little bit because it's not working out for me. Although I know Sergio ended up winning. And how about these winners that we've been seeing? All $6,000 players on DraftKings. You got Kokrak and Stuart Singh. Brian Gay is like 9,000 years old. All right, so that got rid of uh, Grio at least the very top. It dropped him down to number seven in the oh, seven in the uh, in my ranking. So. Past 36 rounds, oh, since the COVID break has come back, Dustin, number one, Werner, Finau, Sungjae, Hatton are the top five. Redmond, Grio, Laird, Purdy, Murdy, he's another guy who ended up winning. See, woo, Kim, Cameron Davis at number 10. Then it's Keegan Bradley, Russell Henley, Hideki, Sam Burns, Seb Straka, Zach Johnson, Lee Westwood, Brooks Kepka. Still, despite being terrible, it ranks ahead of Victor Hovland when all of this comes through. And then Scotty Scheffler at number 20. I want to take a look at these three guys in particular because they're sort of in the range where I want to bet this week. Where are those guys' odds? We got Kepka 22, Hovland 20, and Scheffler at 22. So let's take a look at Brooks for a second, see what he's getting up to. The driving has been God awful. So he played, um, you know, obviously he played well at St. Jude, blew it to Justin Thomas at the PGA, had a very bad Sunday, but gained six strokes on approach, 8.4 at St. Jude. Uh, he went to Wyndham, missed the cut. That's when he went off, missed the U.S. Open, declared injury. And then he came back at the CJ Cup two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, lost a bunch off the tee, uh, gained on approach, gained around the green, lost a little bit putting. As you can see by his splits, better on Bermuda greens. That's always good. Nice to see that his around the green is okay. Uh, long-term trends of players or of his off the tee stuff um you know he's been losing so over the past 132 almost two strokes per tournament 1.5 over the past 20 less than a stroke past 10 and then you have 0.1 over the last five if you think that brooks can get his driving back in order he actually sets up really well because you know eventually the putting stroke is going to come back for him he's already striking his irons really well the around the green is pretty good um Listen, he's going to end up being what? What are the Masters odds on Brooks Kepka? I assume they're worse than they are this week, which is kind of funny to think about. And like, do you think he's going to use it as Masters prep? I don't know. Let's see, golf majors, Masters tournament. Brooks is twenty to one, so he's the same odds this week as he is next week. And uh, obviously, the quality of field not quite the same uh, as it pertains to Brooks Kepka. So he's probably a better bet this week than he is next week, unless you really buy into the narrative that he really ratchets it up uh, when it comes down to playing at majors. And maybe that's the case, but you'd think that he'd want to get back on the positive side. I'd rather burn the twenty to one or twenty-two to one. Actually, he's twenty to one at the Masters. He's twenty-two to one at the Houston Open. Like just based on strength of field, it's a better bet to bet him this week uh, and try to be a week early on because if he wins this if he wins this week or top fives this week his master's number is going to drop to like 10 to 1 because people love betting brooks kepka at majors they tend to hate the bet on him at not majors which is really kind of interesting to think about let's see what hovland's been up to obviously we know the putting was been better on bent though um the iron play has been like he went through that stretch of the three tournaments where he let you know 10 9 15 strokes gained tee to green. And since then, it's been kind of all over the place. Played really well at the U.S. Open. CJ Cup, he was all right. Zozo, a bit lackluster, but the driving was there for him. I don't know if I'm going to get to him. It's Scheffler that I'm truly interested in. Guy sucks on the greens. We know that. But it was nice to see that he's coming back. Um, he came back from his COVID positive test that kept him out of the U.S. Open. Couldn't find the irons at Shriners or Sanderson. Couldn't find them. But he's been getting better every week. So minus 3.4, minus 1.7, minus 1.7. In the positives at the Zozo, but you can see that he's been getting better each week off the tee as well. If he can return to that ball striking, which made him so appealing heading into the U.S. Open, if maybe he's finally over all of this, 
then that is a situation where I would like to be a bit early on him. I don't like him at the Masters. He's never played at the Masters before. In fact, I don't even know if he's in the Masters field. I haven't done my first look yet. I've been actively avoiding the DraftKings pricing. Obviously, it's not out yet, but I just I, I don't want to look too much into it because I want to do a first look reaction show and really be like, whoa, I can't believe that guy is that price because sometimes initial reactions are where you want to be. Uh, with Scheffler, I, I just like how he sets up for this course ball striking wise. Um, obviously, he did not play well at Colonial earlier this year, but the ball striking numbers were quite good. He lost a bunch around the greens, lost a bunch putting. Uh, hopefully, he can't bleed them all putting. Uh, he's not a good putter, as you can see, uh, but I do like him. I think that he is, and I wouldn't say he's undervalued. He's probably properly valued, but if I'm going to go to somewhere near the top of the card, but not the very top with Dustin, if I can have Brooks and Scheffler for the price of Dustin, Actually, it's a bit more than the price of Dustin. That's probably where I'm going to go this week. But I already do have the bet in on Brooks at 20 to 1. I have not bet Scheffler yet. The only bet I've actually made elsewhere is um, Cameron Davis at 75 to 1. And that's sort of narrative based, although you can see he ranks out number 10 in the modeling. That's that's great. He's top 10 in driving distance. He's in approaches from 175 to 200. He's number seven, opportunities gained. Putting, he's top 10 in the field too. So maybe if he continue to keep that running, we'll see how he's been lately. Bad at the Shriners, good at Sanderson Farms, good at Safeway in terms of ball striking. He's kind of up and down, but this is a situation where you look at him short-term and long-term. He's been getting better off the team. The approach has stayed around the same. He is riding a hot putter. That's never great, but maybe ride it for one more week, my man, at 75-1 to 1 and see how we go. Better on Bent than Bermuda, so that's not a great sign. Like I said, the Aussie narrative uh, in Texas is always one where I like to go. It's Jason Day up to. Oh, Duffner, number one in opportunities gained. Can't make a fucking putt to save his life. It's incredible with Jason or with Jason Duffner right now. He sucks me in every week. I'll probably get off of him this week. Former winner at Colonial. But with Jason Day, let's see. Better on Bermuda putting at least recently. The, the weird thing is because he withdrew from the CJ Cup. He was actually crushing it with his approaches that week. Uh, but as you can see, he withdrew with injury, so his stats don't get counted towards the overall point. But off the tee, he's been really good. He's won in Texas before. Uh, approach, not been good whatsoever. So it's a decent number, like 40, 45 to 1, but I don't know if I can get there with Jason Day this week. It's going to be a tough field. I'll have to have my guests come on and really break it down for us uh, and try to lead me in the right direction, or I'll continue to do some research on Fantasy National. If we just take a look at the individual stats um, and see who is playing well in these long approaches, Finau just rates out incredibly well for this course. Someone who's actually contended at Colonial in the past, too, but are you really going to bet him at... 18 to 1 odds that this is going to be the week that he wins. Maybe you want to. Uh, obviously, everyone wants to, but he's number one in approaches from beyond 200 yards. Dustin Armour, Eric Van Royen, who's coming in at 90 to 1. Grio, Straka, Will Gordon, Phil, Grayson, Murray, Tyrrell Atten, and Mark Hubba Hubbard are your top 11 in that category. Driving distance coming into the week. You have Burns, List, Finau, Wyndham Clark and Dustin Johnson, Patrick Rogers, Will Gordon, Sergio Christoph, Ventura, Cam Davis, like I mentioned, number 10. On those long par fours, 450 to 500 yards, Dustin, Siwoo, Norlander, coming off a week where he burned a lot of people in Bermuda. Tony Finau, Scotty Scheffler, Christoph Ventura, Doc Redman. I want to take a look at Ventura for a second. I know he was lingering a little bit, but he, no, he missed the cut at Bermuda. That's why he didn't do well on the weekend, of course. Uh, Shriners missed the cut. He was really riding a hot putter there for a while, so maybe off Christoph Ventura. Although he does play these, I mean, I guess that's the product of putting really well, so you're going to play these holes really, really well if you're making putts. Doc, Carlos Ortiz, Fratelli, coming off a decent week. Was it Zozo or CJ Cup where he was good? It was the Zozo, his last time out, and a lot of that was around the green and putting not on approaches. been bad on approaches the last two no-cut events. That was, again, significantly better field, though. Zach Johnson, although he has zero driving distance, just continues to play well, rides a hot putter. Let's see where he has been making his bones. Shriners 19th, top 10 at the U.S. Open, top 10 at the Wyndham. He's just been making a lot of cuts recently. A lot of that has to do with the approach. I wonder about his lack of distance at a course like this where it's longer than Colonial, even if Colonial is a comp course. But the putting has been pretty good. Really rode that at the U.S. Open. 
Uh, if this turns into a more fairways course, which I don't imagine it will, uh, maybe then with Zach Johnson, but we'll see how that ends up going. From 200 to 225 yard par threes, Gooch, Day, Wyndham Clark coming off a playoff loss. Cameron Tringali, Bryce Garnett, Russell Henley, Sink, Armour, Homa, Brian Harmon, and Ian Poulter all rank out at the top, although Ian Poulter has withdrawn. Uh, that will be reflected once the DraftKings pricing is out and the odds are loaded in on FantasyNational.com. Like I said, the Wednesday, if you want to get the weekly and you're dipping your toe in for the first time to get the stats, the lineup builder, we'll have the simulator for the Masters as well after the DK pricing ends up dropping. You can find all of that on FantasyNational.com, FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself the discount. Like I said, it's going to be like six or seven bucks uh, for the Wednesday to Wednesday gets you two tournaments and it gets you all the live stats in play data for the Houston Open in case you want to play showdown or live bet I will be updated in real time and that's always a great way to go make yourself money it's a huge advantage on the field if you want to go check that be on the lookout for the Masters DraftKings first look salaries once we get into it this week uh, hopefully we can find uh, some decent value off the hop and then I'll then hopefully I'm right about it and then I don't change my mind as I you know, stuff gets filtered in my head as the week goes on because that's usually what what ends up happening not only to me but to everyone out there again full show for Houston Wednesday afternoon uh, there will be a Listener's League link for the Masters, not for Houston. That'll be NFL this week, week nine, uh, if you're looking for a Listener's League link. Same payout as the golf one. It's $15 to play, three max entry, no rake, best tournament on DraftKings in either sport, if you want to go check it out. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in to the first look. I will see you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.